to our next voyage on T-10, the show with 10-minute takes on the future of education in healthcare. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick. On today's voyage, you'll hear from R.J. Bersillon, a well-known and highly respected expert on social determinants of health, having spent time in leadership at Anthem and CVS Aetna. Outside of his consulting work, R.J. also recently announced he's joining the team at Next Ventures, an early-stage fund that focuses on human and health optimization and is led by Lance Armstrong and former Nike marketing exec, Melanie Straw. RJ and I cover a lot of ground on this one when it comes to social determinants, from food, housing, and transportation needs, to how having more data isn't necessarily enough to improve social programs in that last mile of delivery. But I think my favorite part of this one is how RJ highlights examples of earlier stage companies who are getting it right, and how large organizations are thinking about building, buying, and partnering with those startups to raise awareness and improve lives. We are ready to go. Please enjoy my conversation with RJ Bersillon. Welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. I want to kick things off with social determinants of health. I know it's an area that you've been uh, very actively involved in, a leader in the field, but also you've been active as an investor, as an advisor to early stage companies. It seems as though I want to start with the social, social determinant side. Um, you, I want to get an update, lay the land, kind of what is it and why is it important from someone who's been uh, dealing in this field for, for quite a while. Yeah, thanks. So I think there's an official definition that I may not get right of. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the on the show, Tim, before I jump in. Uh, longtime fan. Glad to be here. Um, so social determinants of health, I think the official definition is something to the effect of the conditions or the environments where people are born, live, work, play, worship, age, um, which is an important one um, that affect a range of your health, your functioning, your quality of life, um, outcomes and risks, right? And so um, people typically think of the first ones that anybody thinks of off the bat and the ones that have had the most, um, I think, action are food, housing and transportation. Um, mm-hmm. But we've also thought about, uh, in, in especially my, my previous and some of my current work, um, think a lot about access so um, access to healthcare, um, access so when you think about rural versus urban um, and then also something that's come up a lot recently is digital access right so um, in the world you're in and, and a lot of the world that, that I play in as well there's a lot of um, digital health and does that digital health reach everyone and so why why is it important um, so I as um, I think folks know, I formerly worked for Aetna, which then became part of CBS. And I really got um, enthralled in this from our former CEO, Mark Bertolini, who really kind of popularized, at least for me, I'm sure there are, there are lots of other people talking about it as I jumped into the world, that 80% of what affects your life doesn't happen in a doctor's office or a hospital or any kind of clinical mm-hmm. setting. Uh, there's some really fun stats about the time you spend in a clinical setting um, and the time you spend in doing everything else in the rest of your life. And why wouldn't we, as people who want to affect health outcomes, pay attention to those? Uh, and so in, in my work at, at Aetna and CBS, we've done um, a good amount of work on trying to address all of these social determinants, uh, hopefully in an upstream manner to affect cost, uh, quality and outcomes. Amazing. I, I love that stat. That obviously jumps out. It's very striking about how much time we're not spending in those clinical settings and 
I can see how that's you know a, a clear sign towards where those opportunities are. You talk about food, housing, and transportation. Very those are those are great options, and uh, those are areas where I know I've been noticing more and more conversation, more investment, uh, more partnerships in, in, in press. I'd, I'd love to hear you talk maybe a bit more about some of those approaches you've seen uh, in in either of those three categories or more broadly yeah. in social determinants. But uh, if you could give us some examples of, of wins yeah, you've seen sure. or approaches you've seen that are interesting. Yeah. So some the first thing, actually, I'll, I'll go back. Um, in my work at Aetna, one of the one of the first things I was doing was um, was operationalizing and onboarding uh, Unite Us, uh, which is a fantastic company that creates networks of uh, for social referrals, much like we have networks of doctors, hospitals, specialists, everybody uh, that we're kind of used to in 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 the old school medical world. Uh, Unite Us creates a platform for social referral. So uh, in our instance, we would have Aetna care managers and, and lots of other uh, insurers have jumped on this as well, as well as uh, health systems and hospitals, right? And so can you create this, uh, a very important word in there is closed loop, a closed loop system so that our care managers can refer uh, members who uh, we know need uh, access to what I'll call social health. Um, so things like food banks or housing opportunities or in the Northeast, um, especially in places like Pennsylvania, there's LIHEAP. So access to um, heating bill assistance, uh, which is going to become a, probably especially important this winter, things like that. Mm -hmm. can, can we do that in a closed loop way so that we can create data um, and understand what that data means for those members? Um, the one thing I realized as I began to do work like that on referrals in general and understanding what members need is that in the world of healthcare, as big a company and as much data as CBS and Aetna were sitting on, we didn't know and we didn't have access to the data we needed to do this well to go truly upstream and understand a member's social needs, right? Everything we've ever done mm -hmm. before is on, you know, unfortunately, I'll call it downstream health, downstream health right? Like we, we really don't know. Um, especially in the insurance world, what needs members have in, until mm -hmm. they have a claim for the most part. And if you think about social determinants in a, in a holistic, very upstream way, we missed the boat. We missed the chance. The, the, the best cost savings opportunities, if you think about providing things like wholesome food and um, permanent supportive housing, uh, the best time to do that is before the member has an acute health episode. Uh, obviously, for members that have co-occurring health and social needs, it's hugely important. That's where we spend the most of the time focusing. So, so from that um, need for data, I, I in in my former role leading social determinants for it and CBS, and to go out to the market and find that. And so, I found a fantastic company in socially determined. Um, full disclosure: they're they're now a client of mine for consulting, um, but they're they create a index. A risk index for social needs for members, and that's by domain. So does this member have a high um, food insecurity need? Do they have a high housing need? Do they have access to transportation, whether that's public or private transportation? Do they own a car? Right. So they were able to provide us with all that information. Um, they, they get data um, built in down to 
these 200 meter hexagons on a map. Um, and then when we cross that with our Medicaid roster member data, it, it creates an individualized profile for each member that, that we can then you know, create just about any action um, that, that we possibly could dream of uh, on for that yeah. member, whether it's providing them, you know, kind of upstream uh, proactive access to, to any of those social needs. Now, there's a lot of work to be done to, um, mm -hmm. on, the, on the actuarial side of, of the health plan world to prove that out, that that, that, that will work. I think anybody who um, takes a moment to sit down and think about that can understand that it should work and, and that it will work. There's a lot of factors that go into that. How long is the member on the plan? Um, you know, are we going to be able mm -hmm. to recoup that in later times if, the, if that member, you know, chooses to leave or leaves for any one of a number of reasons? But um, th those are two, two big ones um, that have been really exciting. Um, mm -hmm. Then I've seen some others, you know, there's a lot of work coming up in food as medicine right now. Um, Season made really big headlines for their, their, mm -hmm. the amount they were funded, probably the biggest um, one-time funding amount for any, any kind of social determinant play. Uh, we were um, looking at work with them as I was leaving at NCBS um, for providing food to very specific patients, actually kidney care patients. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a lot, a uh, lot going on out there. That's really exciting stuff. Yeah, that's, um, you know, what was top of mind. So there's obviously a, a lot there to unpack from Unite Us, which is a fantastic example. And one I appreciate, I know their story just because they are also veteran founders uh, in the space. And I absolutely, absolutely yeah. Dan, yeah, Dan built. and Taylor are, are both, founder, both, uh, both founders are veterans and great guys, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Uh, to the 200 meter hexagons, uh, the first thing that came to mind immediately is, well, the specificity and, the personalization, the individualization of, of what you can do because healthcare at the end of the day is local. And we hear now it seems um, people are waking up to the fact that you have to figure out even if you can scale an effective healthcare model or care delivery system, there are going to be differences in every subpopulation and area where uh, a lot of what you're talking about is at the individual level. So I, I think that's exactly. very yeah. encouraging to hear around to have yeah. that amount of specificity in the data to then inform eventually what is the set of healthcare services look like? How do we think about referrals? And um, it's gonna take time, but obviously it sounds like there are wheels in motion on, on kind of both of those fronts and the people who are kind of shaping the way we deliver and think about delivering healthcare are, have the data and are equipped with the tools and the resources to be able to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's not, um, we could spend all day um, talking about the, the data need, um, which is, which, and it's kind of funny, right? If you sit back and think about like how much data a company like CVS is sitting on. Now, no, make no mistake, companies like CVS and all of the other insurers are interested in this to the, to the point that they, I believe, will get there someday on their own and either, you know, build by partner, um, some, some version of that with lots of these companies that are um, that are providing this data now, right? But it's you you cannot um, emphasize enough to me, especially the um, and this goes back to my my favorite soapbox for for all health plans or anybody wanting to interact with anybody in the health system is the majority and especially in in Medicaid and in Medicare and duals where I spent the majority of my time so far is you can't individualize it enough and you can't. Um, 
you can't spend too much time on getting the outreach tuned exactly right so that it reaches that member, that patient, you know, whoever you're going for in a very meaningful way that lands in front of them, right? When you think about your typical Medicaid member or dual member, right? They're not, um, you know, they're not sitting in front of a computer all day like you and I are for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and time's limited and there's lots of family issues and they probably have other folks that are, that are struggling with health issues too. You have to make that land in front of them in a meaningful way. And we did, you know, I was just as guilty of this as anybody. We did so much work on the, you know, what I'll call the back end of designing these programs that sound amazing and sound great, but the outreach mission misses at the very kind of last mile, like right in front of the member, it falls flat right in front of the member's face. Right. So when you think about new and innovative and interesting ways to get to those members and make them aware of this, like one of the bigger issues we had with this, um, with providing the whole um, social referral platform is that how do you get members aware of it and understanding of what that is? That's a very different opportunity coming from, you know, your healthcare company, your, your, your Medicaid health insurer. Uh, most Medicaid members were not used to kind of hearing about those kinds of like, you're going to give me access to food and you're going to give me access to housing referral. Like, you know, it, it, you have to tune the message exactly right. Um, mm-hmm. And to do that, you need that individualized data. Yeah, I love that last point is, is so interesting. I, I'd love to kind of get your take as someone who um, has been now across the care continuum. I would, ima- I would kind of describe you as having your own personal barbell approach where you've worked with large organizations inside the organization, now working with large companies kind of as, with as your clients, but you've also looked at the earliest stages in the the just getting started type of innovation. You know, you're describing yeah. thinking about what are the innovative approaches to get people to realize the awareness, but you're also talking about the investments that are required to help these innovations reach scale and become part of the build by partner equation. Yeah. Um, I'd love to just kind of get your take on as someone who has made a career transition, has now worked across the spectrum of sizes of companies, but all kind of with the same theme and, and narrative thread. What are you excited about when it comes to innovation entering and, and kind of starting to play and partner with with larger ecosystems, large organizations? Yeah. No, great question. Thanks. It's been so fun. Um, I think from a fairly early uh well, so I, I spent 15 years in, in three different uh, managed care organizations, right? Roughly. Don't mm-hmm. quote me exactly on that number, somewhere around that, <laughs> that time frame. Sure. And I think somewhat early on, this is no knock against it. Like the, the real, real innovation um, is more than likely not going to come from within. Um, and that's not a knock against it. It's really, really hard to spool up true innovation. Like, you can have an innovation arm at any one of these large companies and, and they can put out some really interesting stuff. Um, but it's, I, I think it's more efficient to tap into some of this talent and some of, and some of the, um, you know, work that's coming up now as they, as they look at it for the, for the broader market and, and be able to adapt that and bring that into uh, some of these managed care organizations for the first time, right? And and I think there's 
Um, you know, there's different degrees of willingness to, to bring that in and bring that on. Um, but when you look at that example, right, like I needed that data to make that, to make that work. And the people who had it was an early, that was a, that was a series A stage company at the time that had that. Um, but they had the product and the ability and the talent, um, and the IT wherewithal to get through now, make no mistake. That's a really difficult proposition to say like, Hey, you know, we gotta, you gotta go through all of our security gatekeeping, all of our legal gatekeeping, all of that stuff. It's, it's not a lot of fun. Um, I've brought a few early stage companies through that. Um, it's difficult on everybody, but it's worth it. Right. But I think the thing I'm most excited about to probably most directly answer your question is now, you know, probably three, probably four or five years into really paying attention to this world, to this venture funded early stage um, innovation type world, it's making its way to Medicaid and Medicare um, Hmm. and opportunities like that. Like you look at season, like it blew my mind what they got, you know, the opportunity that then they have um, to create um, a whole new landscape for, for Medicaid members, especially, right? Like they're, they're not only aimed at Medicaid, but they're, they're pretty squarely aimed at Medicaid. I think that's super exciting. It's exciting to see things like, um, you know, I, I did a lot of work on this, um, on, on various food as medicine coalitions over the years. Instacart has now launched Instacart Health. They're a huge, um, they, they really want to do well um, by folks on SNAP and WIC. Um, so I think the most exciting part is seeing these opportunities come to um come towards the Medicaid, Medicare duals world. And now here's the trick. I I, I talked with folks about this literally daily now, which of the, which of those models and how do you make those models venture fundable? Right. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's a classic issue these days is not everything's absolutely venture fundable and that's okay. Um, But those that are going for it, like, how do you, I, I enjoy taking the role of advising some of these companies and, and then working with, a, with um, a venture fund that's highly interested in this to make that work and for them to see what the opportunity is in Medicaid, because there's a whole layer of Medicaid um, of the potential and opportunity that has not been realized yet on paying for outcomes and paying for value in Medicaid and duals, especially um, that hasn't been realized that and and that's where the opportunity would be and that's where some of these not all of them of course would become venture fundable well it's exciting to hear especially as someone who's spends most of his days uh, talking to kidney care stakeholders in the ecosystem and we know metabolic health I and mean, food as medicine is such an exciting area we're seeing more and more dietitians and social yeah. workers and some of this access to social support entering the fray and the care models that are that are coming up and managing populations uh, at large scale. So um, those questions are often I'm in the same room where those questions are being asked. And it's just a, it's a fun set of challenges to be able to talk through and say, yes, we have conviction around this is something that we think is the future of how care is delivered. And it is more personal, but it also is going to allow us to to bring evidence based services that we know are working for these reasons into people who traditionally haven't had access to them. So I, I share the excitement around. Yeah, that that's too. exactly right. That's, that's the answer yeah. there, right? Is to, um, in fact, I was talking with a, with a potential investor this morning about this and said, well, what's the, you know, what's the difference in something like a, I'll give a good example, a wealth theory who, who I think you, you probably know Tim, right? 
They said, yes. well, what's the difference in that versus what the health plan already does? And the difference is that, that like get up every day and make life better for those with autoimmune disease in that example, right? Mm-hmm. And to have a specific set of, of health, nutrition, um, you know, a, a kind of wraparound services built around that specific condition, which health plans do to varying degrees, but, you know, they may not be that they, I believe, will, will one day find value in opportunities like a wealth theory because of that, because of the expertise and because of the ability to show, you know, eventually they'll be able to show some serious ROI on that. Again, that whole upstream mindset of, hey, we're going to wrap around, you know, all of those types of services that you just mentioned, nutrition, especially uh, in that case um, for these members and improve the outcomes, right? Improve the outcomes and and one thing, like this isn't directly your question, but whenever I'm talking to founders and funds, one of the things that I say is don't get wrapped around. And and I had this mindset while at the health plans and, and many share it, but it's sometimes hard to put a finger on it. You don't have to get wrapped around ROI being a dollar number over, over a dollar number, right? Like ROI mm-hmm. plans, if you can look at what happened, has happened in the stars world recently, right? Plans are very interested in, and in, and in everybody's got to sharpen their pencils a little bit to make this work. So you can eventually, I mean, it all has to go to dollars at some point, but on, on stars, HEDIS, quality, member satisfaction, all of those things are extremely meaningful in this world now where, uh, you know, when you look at what happens when you lose a star, um, and, and real big dollar figures start disappearing from, from top and bottom lines pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. All of the inputs on that from quality uh, and things like that really matter. And so if you can make a difference, if you can point to you know, your product, your, your company, making an actual difference on that quality measure, you know, I think you have something there. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited and I love to hear the shout out to Ellen and team and uh, quality on deck community. Yep. Um, always well, really good to see names like that in the headlines. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we love to hear it. We'd love to see it. Um, RJ, I want to, I want to wrap up. I want to make sure there's a chance for you to share how people can connect with you offline, where they can find you, follow your work. Uh, it just says we're kind of wrapping up here. I want to make sure you have a chance to connect with folks who are interested. Oh yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. So, um, the, my, my day job at the focus group is, is where I'd love to see anybody who's interested in, in this. Um, and that's, uh, the focus group solutions. Um, and we're, we're now part of HMA, uh, which is also super exciting, uh, for the depth and breadth of talent we're able to bring to that and, and tackle big problems and talk Medicaid and Medicare, especially, but kind of across the payer landscape. Um, and then, um, I try to be active on LinkedIn, uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm there pretty much every day. So, uh, my name is pretty unique. If you search RJ Bristian or something mm-hmm. close to that, I think you find it on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm in and out on Twitter. Um, we'll see what happens with Twitter, but I, th- I think I'm like RJ underscore Briss on Twitter. Um, I think that's that's close to it. I, I do have some fun there. On all, just be prepared for a wide range of topics. Everything from uh, there's I go heavy on the sports, um, uh, especially <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I, I've I've been known to to follow, and uh, it's true. I, I enjoy the the breadth and depth of Twitter and LinkedIn. So we'll we'll make sure that your yeah. your socials are in the show notes. Um, it's all here. Everything we talked about will be in the show notes. RJ, really good to see you, and I appreciate you coming on T minus ten. 
Awesome, Tim. Thanks.